This podcast is being recorded on Friday, October 18th. This is MEA Friday. There's absolutely no one here. It's the Rook, and we're going to get a best of Garage Logic, but it's going to be the best of the best ofs Garage Logic because this is one of my favorites. And as I was looking through boxes, I stumbled across this one that I've been looking for for some time. It is from the late summer, early fall of 1996. And Joe was pretty, uh, we both fanned out. I still get goosebumps thinking about it because this was my favorite all-time interview in Garage Logic, And it was with the one and only Captain Kangaroo. This official podcast does not have a number because it's the best of, but we'll give you your intro and then you'll hear Joe talking to the late, great Bob Keeshan, Captain Kangaroo. And now, from the mayor's office above the boathouse... On the east shore of Spoon Lake. It's Garage Logic with Rookie on Production, Chris Reavers, Director of Social Media, John Hyde in the newsroom, and occasionally Kenny from the Krabby Coffee Shop. Here is your flashlight king, fireworks commissioner, and keeper of common sense, your mayor, Joe Sushiman. I've not been this nervous, and I've I've interviewed Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Hi, Joe Sushere with you, KSTP AM fifteen hundred. I'm with the man, Captain Kangaroo Bob Keishan. When I hear the music, the music alone brings back a lot of memories. And I was I was telling you just before we went on the air, I'm the kid, Captain. I'm your prime. <laughs> I had to be your prime demo. Well, you still are the kid, Joe. Look at you. Yeah, but, I mean, but I mean, it, when you went on the air in 1955, I would have been six, and I suppose I hung with you for well, another five, right. six so years. You, so you look like you're 22, 24 yeah, yeah, now, yeah. right? You still look like the captain, too. <laughs> what were you the captain of? Nothing. Uh, captain of the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Well, we were the captain of the Treasure House. Uh, when we were thinking of the name for the program, which is kind of the last thing you do in putting mm-hmm. it together, the costume was already there. He had big pockets. And, Where'd uh, that come from? Well, Wardrobe? we thought we thought uh, we would pull things out of the pockets. Yeah. And so the, the pockets were just a device in the beginning. And uh, <clears throat> similar to the pouch in a kangaroo. Yeah. And uh, he was... Showed us, showed, a guide showed us around the treasure house. And so we gave him a rank of captain, and we were looking for alliteration. Captain Kangaroo is alliterative. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this was the day of, days of Howdy Doody, Rudy Kazooty, and the like. So alliteration <laughs> did seem uh, desirable. You were, you were Clarabelle Clown. Yep. I started uh, my career in 48 before there was a television. Really, there were 80,000 television sets in the entire nation in 48. Bob Smith was about to start Howdy Doody at the uh, at the request of RCA, the parent company of NBC. They manufacture television sets, so somebody thought, hey, what a great idea. If we want to sell television sets, we should have television programming. Mm-hmm. So they asked Bob to put together a children's program based on a radio show that he had been doing for children on Saturday morning. He asked the uh, pros, the radio actors, to help him, and they laughed because, you know, there was no money in television. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really an industry at all. And so uh, I was just back from the Marines. I was working my way through college at my old job as a page at NBC. 
This is in Manhattan. Yeah, in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And there's desperation, really almost in desperation. He asked me to help him with the program. Mm -hmm. So I helped him, created the character Clarabelle, played that for five years. Mm -hmm. At the end of the five-year period, there were 30 million television sets in the country. From 80,000 to 30 million. In just five years. The industry exploded. So, of course, everybody now wanted to get in it, and I was a pioneer. Mm -hmm. So I left Howdy Doody. I did two local programs in New York, uh, one on, on the ABC station there. <clears throat> the uh, One of them was very similar to Captain, an elderly Geppetto-like character, mm -hmm. grandfather character. <clears throat> I was always fascinated with the potential good relationship between a grandparent and a child. Mm -hmm. And so that program <clears throat> did very, very well. It, uh, it, it had the same gentle quality and, I hope, creativeness. Uh, but what really attracted CBS was the audience. That probably comes as no surprise to you. Uh, but the program in New York only, because it was local, <coughs> doubled the combined rating of Jack Parr on CBS mm -hmm. and the new Today Show on NBC mm -hmm. with Dave Carraway. <coughs> so uh, Jack was unhappy getting up in the morning at CBS, so they agreed to move him to the afternoon and uh, asked me to put together a program for them, and that became The Captain in October of 55. You've been touring the country with a new <coughs> book called Good Morning, Captain, and it's uh, photographs from the show, and you've been in town all weekend, and uh, we were lucky enough to get you. You're not leaving town until tomorrow, apparently. Tomorrow morning. Tomorrow yeah. morning. Uh, and where, home is now in Vermont. Correct, in Vermont. Upstate Vermont? Well, or? about midway up yeah. uh, in Norwich, halfway between uh, Massachusetts and the Canadian border. And uh, so it's pretty much what uh, Minnesota is weather-wise. Yeah. So. What uh, – uh, and you want to get back on the air, obviously. I mean, not not obviously, but, I mean, I would think if television was smart, they'd get you back on the air. Well, there's a, I think there's a need for uh, good programming for young people. And uh, we haven't had very much of that because when we deregulated broadcasting in the 80s uh, – we told broadcasters they didn't have an obligation to do anything for kids, so they went right to the bottom line and started selling them toys and games and everything they could sell them. Uh, we're the only country that does that, you know. Mm -hmm. you, you don't find that in England or Italy or Germany, France, Japan. Those countries know that kids are the future, mm -hmm. future of the nation, and so they, they put nurturing program on the air. Here we consider them a marketplace to sell. So uh, Congress got pretty upset with it five or six years ago and passed the Children's Television Act of 1990 and asked all licensees to provide quality programming for children. So they started getting creative. They, they uh, did almost anything they could to get out of it, and they started filling in their FCC logs, Federal Communication uh, Commission logs, and they said, oh, we, we teach kids about space travel. We have a great program called the Jetsons. And mm -hmm. we, we teach kids how to how to how to cooperate. What's this fellow in here, Captain, <laughs> who you it's never bad. could have converted? I'm sure that was he was a big fan of that. Show. You're right. And of course, then we also speak, uh, teach kids how to cooperate in a family setting. It's called Family Feud. So uh, <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> the the administration. Well, you got love, love both. Right, I mean, exactly. we could go on and on. Sure, they, if you can be very creative when you're writing a, a log for the Federal Communications Commission, but. Uh, the president, a few months ago, with the backing of Bob Dole and Newt Gingrich, most of the members of Congress, in other words, both sides of the aisle, sat the programming exec executives down and said, hey, guys, you know, this is not what Congress meant uh, when they asked you to do uh, quality programming for kids. Now, you know, we got to really do it. And so they agreed that they each of them would provide, each licensee would provide three hours a week of quality programming. So if you have four or five stations in a in a city, 
you really have uh, four or five stations doing a half hour a day, and that's that's pretty good. That's a pretty good agreement. And uh, they they don't have any place to run now. They used to, if the Democrats used to take this position, they'd run to the Republicans, and if the Republicans took the position, they'd run to the Democrats. But now both parties have agreed that it's a good idea. So I think we're going to see some changes, and that's why uh, I'm putting together a, a program. I'm putting together two actually. Uh, one for syndication, uh, individual stations from city to city. Uh, and if I can get the stations lined up in time, and actually that's why I'm here today, Joe, because uh, what I want to do is ask you to commit the 22 stations that you personally own. Mm-hmm. And if you would commit those stations, we'd have about a third of the lineup that we need. So Can I have my people talk to your people? <laughs> well, I have my I have the contracts have in, I have you? the no. contracts in my pocket. Right. I don't, yeah, yeah. We, I think we could just And your name them. still carries some yeah. weight, so my <laughs> right. people will know who I'm referring <laughs> to when right. I say, "Look, the captain was here." That's right. So we can do it one to one and we get the whole thing. But if if I get the stations lined up and because that's a, a long haul because there's not a lot of good sense in the business, you know. They they no. really, uh, <laughs> as you probably know, they're, they're they're very bottom line. They want to get as much money as they can out of the license, but that's why it's going to work because uh, they know that somewhere along the line, if somebody doesn't do it, the the license may be taken away, and that's a that's a money machine. That license, you don't want to risk losing that. Bob Keishan is with us until uh, three o'clock, <laughs> and he told me that he would entertain uh, phone calls at some point. In 1950, uh, you have three children. You were telling me off the air your wife died in February. You were married 45 years. Your three kids are now in their 40s. You're a grandfather. When they were my age, I mean, their old man was the captain. And in, in, uh, what was that? Had never, be... never made anything of it, Joe. They never knew. really. Where did you live during that? I time? lived in Long Island in yeah. a suburban community. It was the community respected uh, the wishes that Gene and I expressed. We wanted. We were very afraid that uh, that because we'd all heard horror stories, and we still hear them from mm-hmm. from Los Angeles and places like that, where the the uh, children of celebrities grow up in mm-hmm. the most warped kind of way. If if you're not careful, so we never used our kids as a laboratory. Never questioned them about the program. If they wanted to watch, they could. If they didn't, they didn't. And actually, in the book, uh, in Good Morning Captain, I tell uh, a good story about uh, my youngest, Maeve, who is now. Maeve is now 41, about to be 41 next January, next month. And Maeve, when she was, I guess, about three and a half, came in with her brother and her sister to the studio and their mother. We were going to the circus, and uh, I had just finished a show. She came running over to the captain and, and sat in the captain's lap and talked to him for, you know, maybe five, ten minutes, as any three-and-a-half-year-old might. Then I excused myself, and I went to the <laughs> dressing room, took off my makeup and costume, and Fifteen minutes later, came back as myself, and Maeve came running across the studio and said, Daddy, Daddy, you should have been here. You just missed the captain. <laughs> so we knew that. Was that had, your hair? <clears throat> that was a wig. Oh, because, wig, you know, yeah. you were doing kind of a Paul McCartney thing there way before you know, the he Beatles. he was doing me. Yeah, he right? was doing a captain <laughs> right, thing. Yes. When, you, uh, when you began the show, did you uh, uh, conscientiously intend to be as uh, soothing and as gentle as you obviously appear to be, or off the air, were you just a hard-drinking uh, uh, longshoreman type who who had to completely fake the whole captain yeah, bit? No, no, you can't. You can't fake that character. There's no. What did your dad do for a living? My dad was a grocery executive. He was an immigrant from Ireland in 1905. Uh, uh, when uh, you came from Ireland, you couldn't get a job in this country in, mm-hmm. in most industries. You know, uh, I can remember doing research for Bob Smith and radio and. Doing the one ad files at one point, he used to do that wonderful year, nineteen 
17, 19, mm-hmm. 26, whatever. And one year we did 19.5, which was the year that my dad came to this country. And I went to the to the uh, one-ed columns, the classified columns, and uh, read every one of these. Uh, an accountant wanted, this one wanted, that one wanted. And the tagline in the New York Times on every one of these one-eds was, Irish and Catholic need not apply. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I said to my dad uh, that night, I came home, I said, Dad, you, you know, I read all, you never talked about that. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, it was all right. He said, we made our own way. And that's what they did. They they had kind of a ladder. Like uh, His brother had come over before him, and he, br- he brought my father over. My father, in turn, brought three more brothers mm-hmm. over. And and they got jobs where they could get jobs, which and, and the grocery business was one of them. Mm-hmm. They also, as you probably learned, could, could be policemen mm-hmm. and firemen, mm-hmm. civil service workers. Or mayors. Uh, or uh, eventually rise to that, yeah. that rank. Uh, uh, but uh, most of the professional jobs were close to them in those days. Did your dad ever get to see you be the captain? Yes, he did. He, he did. did. He uh, he passed away uh, about two and a half years after I started. Yeah. So he was enormously proud. He was uh, he was a good man. But the uh, the gentleness then uh, did you uh, you come by it naturally? Oh, I, I think so. My mother was always a good influence on me. She passed away much earlier when I was an adolescent. That was a big shock for me. But uh, I I overcame that and. Uh, I think I always was fairly gentle. I I was kind of a, uh, a strange bird in the Marine Corps, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, although I I always say the Marines were absolutely great training for me, wonderful training. Mm-hmm. You know, teach me to when you have a job to do, you do it right, attention to detail, and all that sort of thing. Which I, you know, which I call upon to this day. And uh, you know, it, it has been remarked on occasion that. Lumpy Branham, who played Mr. Green Jeans, was also a Marine. Is he still alive? No, no, we lost him ten years ago. Mm-hmm. So here we have two of two characters in one well, a very gentle program, mm-hmm. Captain Kangaroo, who came out of the Marine Corps. Well, we both felt the same way. We uh, we had darn good training there, and we learned how to do things right and uh, and paid attention to details. So we were very professional, I think, as a result of it. Did you create the show? Yes, I created the show. Did you create Mr. Green Jeans? Well, a lot of people, it was a collegial effort. You know, you can't say I created Mr. Green Jeans. A lot of writers and say, what do we get? Well, he's going to be Mr. Outside, I would say to my Mr. Inside. I'm going to show animals. He's going Now, to... Green Jeans, every day, he'd tell you something about a rabbit or a yeah, squirrel. Right. Exactly. Or, yeah, so okay. that was one of his functions. Yeah. So, of course, it was natural that he'd be a farmer. And Green Jeans, again, the alliteration thing made a lot of sense. But when it came to the character itself, it was Lumpy who created it. Lumpy Branham played himself. Did he have a long history in the radio business? No, not at all. Oh. Not at all. He was a, a musician, a good mm-hmm. jazz musician. Oh, yeah. Played with Fred Waring. Fred Waring, he really? was the bass player in Fred's orchestra. Did special material for Fred for children. Uncle Lumpy and Little Orly Stories. And that's how I first met him. And he was just a nice, very gentle guy and uh, very creative. Had a uh, good, good musician. And, uh, you know, he did things that he, like he loved the environment. He was very, very environmental conscious before we ever talked about that anywhere mm-hmm. in this country. You mm-hmm. know, back in the 50s, he was talking about the earth and our need to take care of it and the animals and sharing the earth with animals. And that was back in 56, 57, 58, before anybody was talking about mm-hmm. the environment here. So uh, he was he played himself, really, and he was just absolutely wonderful. We're going to uh, take a break. I want to ask you to think of a question while we have this brief absence. I. I want to know what you think the difference is between the the home you entered in 1955, the kid you talked to in 1955, and let's say Captain Kangaroo went back on the air tomorrow, the home you would be entering and the child you'd be you'd be talking to in the event you went on tomorrow. It's our guest is Bob Keishan. I'm absolutely luckier than you because I'm here with him, Captain Kangaroo. 
Right now, there's a year-end sale at EcoFun Motorsports in downtown Forest Lake, a year-end sale on all electric bikes, including the wild side, old-school motorcycle-looking electric bikes, really cool, like an old Indian or an old Harley, all marked down to $19.99 while supply lasts. That's a markdown from $27.99 to $29.99. The Yamaha e-bikes are all four to $500 off MSRP, and Bintelli e-bikes are on sale starting at $7.99 and up. And they just got in the real tree camel fat tire bikes for hunters. You want to go out in the woods on an electric bike? That would be pretty cool, that big camel-styled fat tired bike. Very sturdy, very sturdy. EcoFun Motorsports is right on Highway 61 in downtown Forest Lake. Youth snowmobiles, youth ATVs, full line of Yamaha motorcycles, the great lineup of Bentelli e-bikes, and full service. You buy something from EcoFund and you need service, uh, Tim Bloom sends a truck through town once a day. They'll pick it up, take it out to Forest Lake, service it, and return it to you. And those scooters, the scooters, man, they turn every errand into an adventure. But right now, take advantage of that uh, end-of-the-year sale on all electric bikes at EcoFund Motorsports in Forest Lake. We're back with the best of Garage Logic as Joe talks to Captain Kangaroo Bob Keeshan. I had asked you, sir, before we left... Uh, I was the kid you talked to in 1955, and, and what was your what is the idea of the home and the child you talked to in 1955 as opposed if you did it today? Well, I, I don't think the child has changed that much. I don't think the child has changed much in 30 years or in 300 years. I think probably in ancient Greece the child was pretty much asking the same questions, security-related questions. Who am I? Am I loved? What does the future hold? Mm-hmm. The way we answer those questions has changed radically in the last 30 years. Uh, the home, the family being one of those. Uh, we had very few kids living in single-parent homes uh, back in the in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, almost half the kids of this country live in single-parent homes. That comes about through divorce and a much more casual attitude toward divorce. Uh, so easy to divorce and so easy to not for the for the legal people the judges and everybody else not really to consider the kids in in divorce and also there's a tremendous uh, number of of kids born out of wedlock a lot of uh, kids born to teenage uh, parents almost a million a year in the country so a lot of kids grow up in in that kind of situation and then we have many, many, many more parents working outside the home than we did in those days. And uh, I, I don't buy the the idea that they're out there because they want to buy the fancy automobile or, or uh, raise their standard of living. I think most people are out. I think a, a lot of women are out there because they like their work and they're, and they're and they're real professionals and they're good. And that's their right. I'm not. I'm the last person in the world to tell them <clears throat> that that they are have, should have forced upon them a role that may be more traditional. Uh, but there are an enormous number of women, probably a majority of women who are working, who would rather be in a much more traditional role mm-hmm. in the home but have to be out there working. That second paycheck or, in the case of single-parent families, that single paycheck is is critical. So the way we uh, way we nurture kids today is radically different. And, uh, and that leads to a lot of differences. It leads to less time given to kids. To nurture them. It leads to things like, honey, I'm so tired. I've had a bad day at work. Do me a favor. Go watch television. You know, and they go watch mostly adult television, not children's television. And they watch uh, with a lot of, uh, lot of values that if we took a peek over their shoulder, we'd say, what are you watching that program for? Mm-hmm. But a lot of parents don't 
know what their kids are watching, and they don't know where they're going, and they don't know what they're doing. We have a lot of kids who come home to an empty household. See, I bought the rabbit and the moose and and grandfather clock and Mr. Green Jeans. I ate it up. I don't know if if today's kid is so... Oh, they do. They do. Those those, uh, personal values are there, and they will buy them. Uh, Captain only left television three years ago in 1993, Mm -hmm. and it was consistently one of the three highest-rated programs on public broadcasting, on public television. So, uh, obviously, there were a lot of kids buying it then. They, they buy Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. Look at Barney. They buy Barney. Barney mm-hmm. is very benign. He's a, I, I mean, I, I would do more with the program, add mm-hmm. more characters and all that. But that's a producer's point of view. Uh, basically, he's a, he's a decent program. Uh, the science guy, he's, he's a, a good program. So they're buying uh, programs of this sort that if they're done creatively, uh, they will reach the, uh, the human being. You're going to remember this. I went and did some library clips, <laughs> and this one amazed me. Apparently, uh, well, it was in the spring of 1988. You were asked to what? Give the commencement? It was at Western Connecticut University. There, there was a yes. That, that, you were asked to be. That the, was one of many. Yeah, right. And you've done many. Yeah, I right, would assume. Right. But on this particular case, it, it was Western Connecticut State at Danbury, and. Uh, Apparently, some of the students there said that uh, I'm sure Captain... Well, here's one quote that was in the school newspaper. I'm sure Captain Kangaroo is a delightful fellow, but it is of the opinion of many students that he offers no insight or inspirational impetus for our seniors to attain career pursuits. And here's why I brought it up. Didn't didn't a puppet, didn't Kermit just give a commencement? Oh, yeah, he did. I mean, and, what, what uh, was wrong with these morons that they didn't think you could offer them any... Uh, inspiration for people. Well, what was wrong? You ended up going there, didn't you? <clears throat> yes. What was wrong, really, was that uh, the newspaper uh, uncovered three people oh. out of a student body of like 4,000 or, or, or a class of 4,000 mm-hmm. or so that were graduating. So there were three who 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 uh, held that opinion when it was first announced? It sure and made the news. It did because well, sure it makes the news. That's the kind of thing that makes the news, right? <laughs> and it has no no, no relation to reality. Mm-hmm. Three students out of the whole bunch, and they eventually turned around and said, "Gee, we thought about it, and we're sorry." Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then of course I did go and give the commencement address. Mm-hmm. And after the commencement address, the president of the student body and everybody else, uh, quite, quite a group of students, came up and said, that's the best uh, commencement address uh, they tell us that we've ever heard. So, now, you are retired normally. You don't show up in your captain's Oh, no, 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 just as But as you do adult. come by these eyebrows pretty naturally, <laughs> yes, don't you? Yes, those are natural, yes. <laughs> Raise them and lower them as, as is appropriate. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, Captain. Uh, we give the foghorn to the word appropriate and inappropriate <laughs> because I'm convinced in today's society they've replaced right and wrong. Well, yeah, you can take that that yeah. position. No, I'm, uh, I mean, there's yeah. good ways you can use it, yeah. but I'm boxed into a corner now. Oh, I, I got to hit you, the you horn. Got, you got to hit, hit the horn. You got to do it. You know You're how to. It. I mean, you did. No, that. hitting the horn is appropriate for you. <laughs> see, see, <laughs> see. I mean, we're stuck now with this. Yeah, deal. no, really, it is. No, I, I think that that's just absolutely right. Uh, I, I would say something else, but I'll say right. <laughs> No, we got it to queue up fast. Sue? So. <laughs> oh, Captain Kangaroo, this is indeed an honor for me, too. Um, you know what I remember? We never seem to have enough shoeboxes in the house <laughs> or toilet paper tubes, but I wanted to know, what's the story with the ping pong balls always falling on Mr. Moose? 
No, they fell on me. Mr. Moose did it. I didn't, they didn't fall on Mr. Moose. They fell on me. And uh, it was something that delighted Mr. Moose and incidentally delighted millions of children uh, as well. So I was probably the only person on earth that did not know the ping pong walls were coming. Uh, and everybody else anticipated it uh, with glee and uh, really enjoyed it when it happened. So there you go. Okay. Thanks, Sue. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, but uh, Captain Kangaroo, Bob Keeshan, will be with us until 3 o'clock. Thanks, Suchi Boy. Okay, if you've been paying attention, and boy, what a great interview with uh, Captain Kangaroo. This is one of my favorite, and it gives me the chills, but this is from 1996. If you have been paying attention, then you know all about Jack's Cafe. Jack's Cafe in Northeast Minneapolis, just right on University, just at the corner of uh, University and 19th Avenue Northeast. I'll give you their phone number. Check out their website, jackscafe.com, J-A-X-Cafe.com. I've been telling you about the rookie date night menu. Hey, Billy's a smart guy. Billy's a smart guy over at Jack's Cafe. He says, I'm going to put a rookie date night menu and have these guys order from this menu so I can see if the Garage Logic advertising is working on the podcast. Well, it is working. And in fact, some of you have emailed me saying, you know, we didn't get the rookie menu, but we still went there as a result. That's fine. Just let them know you heard it on the Garage Logic podcast. But a couple of emails we got this week. You're in for a treat. The rookie date night menu. It's a great deal for two. Four course and a bottle of wine for only 99 bucks. You have to ask for the menu. They'll bring it out. It's a wonderful place to sit back and relax, have a glass of wine, maybe have a cocktail, whatever the case may be. Their staff will take care of you. Of course they will. They've been doing this for three generations. So the rookie date night menu, maybe you're going to plan that uh, Christmas party, work party, family party, family get-together weddings from 25 to 300. They have a room that can accommodate. I've taken the entire tour. We're running out on days for the back patio, but remember that for the future because they do a wonderful job. Call them, 612, make a reservation, 612-789-7297, the rookie date night menu, or any item on their list, Sunday brunch, etc., and book that work party if you're in charge of it or the family party at Jack's Cafe. Online at jaxcafe.com. And again, don't forget to tell them you heard it on the Rookie Garage Logic podcast. Captain Kangaroo, Bob Keeshan, somewhere the set is struck for the treasure house and it awaits your uh, your return. You were telling me you don't you're not overwhelmed by uh, hobbies you've enjoyed working and uh, yeah, I think that's important. I, I, I golf drove you nuts. And, yeah, golf did drive me crazy uh, because you can't develop a golf game. You play once a week or once every well, ten days. Radio's ruined my golf game. Yes, I know it. It's a terrible thing, Joe. You were you were a scratch golfer, I weren't was you? Getting yeah, there. I was, I was absolutely getting yeah, you there. were you were within thirty strokes of well, being a scratch golfer. The, I was thinking the Q school and then radio hit and it all fell apart. That's right, Dale. Yes. Go ahead. I would. Uh, it's an honor to speak to you, Mr. Kangaroo. Thank you, sir. I have a question. Uh, I want you to dispel kind of a rumor that's been going around. I think it's like an urban tale. Um, it is. It, it is. It is a tale. <laughs> you, you know which one I'm. Well, talking I don't about. know which one, but there, there are so many of them going around, and they're all all just strictly rumors. The uh, the one about uh, Mr. Green Jeans being Al Cooper's father. Yeah, Al Cooper. <laughs> I, I I haven't heard. <laughs> Well, no, it was. Oh, you can you can name almost any rock star uh, from the '60s or '70s, and uh, Mr. you know Green, I have heard that. Oh, now sure, that I think Mr. About Green it. Jeans was the uh, Frank, Frank Zappa. Zappa. Frank Zappa was uh, Mr. Green Jeans. I mean, none of them. I mean, where, where do they, where do people get this? I don't know. Some DJ was sitting somewhere once, I guess, and playing uh, what's the name of the song? Wallflowers, I guess. Mm-hmm. And and in the lyric, it's something about and. Uh, and watching uh, uh, Captain Kangaroo. Oh yeah, and, you know, and some and some DJ probably said, and that is a tribute 
that Frank did to his father, Mr. Green Jeans. And boom, it takes off. I think, Dale, that's the one I heard, that Mr. Green Jeans was Frank Zappa's father. Well, I've heard I've heard any number. I've, I've heard of Alice Cooper. I've heard of uh, Frank Zappa. And I, and I, I heard this like 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, uh, the the real truth, of course, is he is Rush Limbaugh's father. <laughs> Thank you. Another another foghornable word. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Survivor. Survivor. Yeah. We'll take it up at another time. All right. All right. Kathy. Hi, Joe. How Hi. are you this afternoon? Fine. Hello, Captain. Hi. I have two quick questions for you. Okay, Kath. Who was the dancing bear? Well, uh, here goes the plug again. In the book, Good Morning, Captain, which Joe has been talking about today, okay. uh, we talk about everybody on the program. And we talk about uh, Frank Zappa. We talk about those rumors that Dale was just talking about, try to pin them down. And we talk about uh, a good deal about Lumpy Branham and Mr. Green Jeans and uh, the nice lady who supplied all the animals on the program, the guest stars, the hundreds of them that had been on the show over the years. And we talk about Gus Allegretti. Gus Allegretti was a puppeteer, is a puppeteer, and uh, Gus did uh, Bunny Rabbit, Mr. Moose, Grandfather Clock, Magic Drawing Board, Dennis the Apprentice, and the one and only Dancing Bear. Dancing Bear. And many other characters. Wonderful. Yeah. My next question was, you touched on it a little bit, whose idea was Bunny Rabbit? I loved Bunny Rabbit. Yeah, Bunny Rabbit, I, I, I don't know, I guess we can assign... That to Gus more than anybody else, really. Uh, I, we really, I don't really remember who exactly came up with it, okay. but Bunny Rabbit could have been any one of a number of characters. It was just that we chose chose the bunny, and it was Gus who gave him his his character. There's no question about that. Okay. Uh, a completely pantomime character, and uh, Gus did a brilliant job in in uh, in making him speak to us uh, yeah. without saying a word. Without saying a word. I love the bunny rabbit. Right. Well, I just wanted to know who did the dancing bear, and my condolences on your loss in February. Well, Kathy thank you, dear. I appreciate that very much, Kathy. Love you a lot. Thank you, dear. Bye. I have a feeling that you will remember the name of every caller. I think that's uh, if Is that somebody, a safe bet. Well, if somebody calls and yeah. uh, and and uh, has something to say, I think it's important to uh, be as personal as possible. Dave. Hi, Joe. Hi. Mr. Keishan, it's indeed an honor. Thank, thanks, Dave. I grew up, my two my two big idols in life as a child were the two captains, Kangaroo and Kirk. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Out I'm in having, space. I'm having my first child in January, and unfortunately he won't be able to grow up watching Captain Kangaroo like I did. Well, Dave, I'll be there, and if not with the captain, with something else. Uh, I, I, You know, if the industry will cooperate and... And uh, make some sense of themselves, and do some quality programming. I'll uh, I'll be part of it for your child and and every other child of this generation. That would be that would be just just fabulous because the, the way things are heading today, there's there's no respect anymore, and and uh, even as an adult, uh, the things on TV are, are are quite shocking in many respects. And I really really hope that that you still can make a difference out there. Well, I'll try to, Dave. You know, there's a lot of attitude in this world today. That's one of the problems. You know, we. Uh, we don't teach gentleness, but we also don't teach, uh, hey, this is, this is a good way to live, is to be kind to each other and to be good to each other. And uh, it makes a lot of sense for us as we grow up. And unfortunately, uh, with television today, we're teaching kids that violence is the, is the uh, solution to everything. Uh, that's uh, bottom line programming, as we call it. Uh, so the good guys, the, the uh, power rangers are out there. Uh, using violence to solve problems, and the producers will say, hey, these are the good guys. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible lesson to teach kids, you know. If you don't, and they grow up, and very often they don't uh, unlearn that lesson, 
And if they don't like their boss, they punch him in the nose, they're out of a job. If they don't like the guy who cuts them off on the interstate, they roll down the window and start taking shots at him. And if they don't like what the government's doing, blow up a building. You know, so you've you got to cut out all this violence and teach our kids to be nice to each other, as we all should be to each other. It'll be a much nicer world if we do that. Dave, thank you. You bet. Thanks, Dave. More people like you, sir. Thank Captain, you. Uh, uh, what was a typical work day like for you? And I'll just pick a year arbitrarily, 1957. Well, 57. Give me a, give me a Captain Kangaroo Tuesday in 1957. <clears throat> we didn't work on Tuesdays, yeah. <laughs> no, we. Uh, that was uh, supposed it, to be his golf day, but yeah. he didn't golf. So. <laughs> he doesn't play golf, no. Uh, in 57, we were live, and that was be- before tape was available to us. It was available, it had been invented, but the news department took all the machines mm-hmm. that were available. So we were. So what time did you get up? I mean, you're out on Long Island. Yeah, I got up usually. I usually got up at a Around uh, 2.45, a little before 3, I made a 3.20 train. I actually shaved and showered in the city Mm -hmm. uh, after the rehearsal that we did. I was in the studio uh, around 4.30, and uh, then uh, we did a rehearsal that we had done the day before, but to remind everybody what it was we were doing, we did it again. And then uh, we got all set for the program, which went on the air in the east at 8 o'clock in the morning, and we did it from 8 to 8.59.20. And then in 40 seconds, turned everything around, reset the studio, props, uh, cameras, actors, everything else. And in that 40 seconds, and did the program all over again, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, Mm -hmm. 8 o'clock Midwest for the Midwestern stations, and for the Rocky Mountain Zone at 7 in the morning. So I got the second show here. You got the second show, presumably the better one. And then California and uh, the West Coast kids got it on Kinescope, which was a fuzzy, grainy, uh, terrible reproduction. They got it a week delayed. For years, California kids thought the nation celebrated his birthday on July 11th Mm -hmm. and that Christmas was January 1st and that New Year's started on the 8th day of January. And that alone may explain the California culture, you see. When did your work day end? Now, you're off the air at 9 Eastern. I'm off the air at 9. Then we go take a small break of maybe 20 minutes or so, and then we would go back and rehearse the program. And the program would be finished, rehearsal, probably around 11.30, 11.45. And then I would go to my office. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, I would work in the office, uh, in pre-production, working with writers and producers, planning other programs, and doing, you know, the, sun- the mundane things like answering mail mm-hmm. and telephones and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And uh, I would try very hard, if I could, to get out of the office by 4 o'clock. It didn't always work, but I, I tried hard to do so. And... Uh, and made it back to Long Island. I usually get home by the you know five five thirty in the evening and uh, dinner hour. <coughs> dinner hour. But then you what? You got to go to bed at eight o'clock. Yeah, it never worked that way though. So yeah. you, you never go to sleep at that hour when you're yeah. doing it. it. Just doesn't. But, but I was young. I mean, <coughs> I didn't know that it was that difficult to do. I mm-hmm. was I was I was I was twenty eight, twenty nine. Well, I was in that. I turned thirty in uh, fifty seven. So what did I know? Mm-hmm. You're seventy now. I will or be. You 70. will be. Yeah. yeah, don't push me. No, don't push me, Joe. But you still look like the captain. I didn't mean anything by that. No, I no, look no, no. at you, and I'm just no, seeing I, I, the captain. I'm just saying I've, I've got seven seven precious months before I turn to seventy. Yeah, I, yeah. Seventy is nothing. So you're as old, really, as you feel, as as you act, as uh, you know, it has nothing to do with anything. 
Uh, you you know, in, in your case, Joe, you're going to be fine. Don't yeah. worry about yeah. it. It's, Good. It's not I'm already be... feeling better, and I was a little anxious, <laughs> but the captain is calming me down. We'll be right back. The weekend rush is on now at Grunhofer's Old Fashioned Meats at the north end of Hugo on Highway 61. And by that, I mean... According to the weather forecast, we have a great grilling forecast on hand, and uh, what a time to stock up on a brats at Grunhofer's. You can't miss it. It's got the big flashing GL sign out front there, right in the north end of Hugo on Highway 61. And many varieties of chicken brats and chicken and beef kebabs and beef jerky and chicken jerky and ham and bacon and tri-tip roasts and chuck roasts, you name it. It's the meat capital of the world. Garage logicians have taken to it like no other place. We hope that they're going to do the Bernie Big Bank breakup brats. Yeah, the Bernie Big Bank breakup bots. Trump brats. roasts. All sorts Trump of roasts. <laughs> if Spencer uh, thinks it would taste good, believe me, he'd make I it. Know he he'd would. make it. There's 130 different flavors of pork brats for the grill, and they must be grilled. Do not boil them. Grunhofer's Old Fashioned Meats. It's the go-to place for GLers. It's the best meat store in the entire world. And they're all professional meat cutters. They'll help you with recipes. They'll help you with cooking tips. You name it. You'll get all the service you need at Grunhofer's Old Fashioned Meats on Highway 61 at the north's end of Hugo. Captain would have been a lady. lady was in here just now, folks, and uh, the promotion director for the station, Judy. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, I see you got your hair cut uh, Joe, yeah. and he said yes, and she said both of them. Yeah, she's pretty funny, <laughs> isn't she, Captain? <laughs> Bill? Good afternoon. Hi. My question for the young Captain was uh, the Banana Man. Oh, yeah. The Banana Man was a very popular character on the program. Uh, he appeared on Saturday morning about once a month. Banana Man was a, was a vaudeville act, and believe it or not, his father before him. The act dates back to the turn of the century, uh, it's uh, on the cover of Good Morning Captain. He's not in the book itself. On the lower right-hand side there, Joe, oh, that's the Banana Man. Yeah. And on the back cover also. Uh, they they uh, were an act in vaudeville. The father passed the act on to his son. They were what, what was known as a production act in vaudeville. And they, they preceded the, the star, whoever it was, the comedian, the singer, or whatever. And it was a wonderful production act. He uh, he uh, produced out of, he came on, on stage with uh, one costume, and out of the pockets of his costume, he produced uh, bananas and oranges and grapefruit and everything else, and uh, railroad cars, believe it or not, put them all in the railroad cars, and 15 minutes later, the railroad car was, the railroad train was complete, and he wheeled it off stage. It was a great, great act, and uh, uh, I'm afraid it's gone now, uh, because vaudeville is gone, and there was no one to pass it on to, but he was a very popular character. It was it was very enjoyable as well as the rest of the program. I just wanted to thank you and thank you, Mayor, for having such a yeah. nice guest. Yeah, thank you, Jack. Mr. Mayor, how are you today? Fine, Mr. Keisha. So you're the captain. I'm the mayor. That's okay. Yeah. I, I did the program, Mr. Mayor, for one year, <laughs> and it's it's in that book too. That, that was on Saturday morning. Good six, morning, Captain. This 64. is coffee table size, by the way, mm. and paperback, so it's not going to break the bank, is it? Let me look. It's, no, it's not going to break the bank. Go ahead, uh, Jack. At any rate, Captain, uh, if I had two or three hours to sit down with you, sir, I'd have 8,000 questions. <laughs> the primary purpose of my call, sir, was to thank you. It's it's rare in my lifetime that uh, one has the opportunity to extend the heartfelt gratitude that I honestly feel for you and the remainder of your cast and production crew 
for the countless hours of entertainment and education that you provided me and as a gentleman of 42 years to my children who are now 22 and 19 and all I wanted to do was expressed to you my heartfelt thanks. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you, and I appreciate Joe for having you on. Thank you, Jack, very, very much. And uh, I'm glad glad I educated you. I hope that you were not aware that I was educating you. That's what a good teacher is, somebody who entertains. I didn't feel I was going to school. We had Arlene Francis for that. Ding-dong school, remember that? Yeah, exactly right, Miss Francis. Miss Francis, ding-dong school. Was she out of New York, too? No, she was out of Chicago. Uh, uh, She was a big rival. You you were often in the gossip (laughs) columns having fights with (laughs) With Miss Francis. Uh, actually, I think she was off the air before I got <laughs> on the air. But, uh, you know, she she just had a much more pedantic approach, and I don't think that's the way to do it. I mm-hmm. think any good teacher, preschool, college professor, whatever it is, you have to be an entertainer. You have to engage the attention mm-hmm. of the student mm-hmm. uh, if you're going to educate, if, if the information is going to move from one mind to the other. What do uh, your kids do? Uh, one of them, my son is president of uh, Saatchi and Saatchi Advertising, mm-hmm. which is the country's biggest advertising agency. Uh, but I'll forgive him for that. And <laughs> and uh, I have a, a daughter who's a lawyer in, mm-hmm. uh, in the Midwest. I, I can't forgive her for that. Well, she does some practice law. So, so oh. now I apologize, Mr. Right. Mayor. Right, I'm uh, she actually works in television, oh, she, uh, okay. which is her first love. And she went back. She practiced law for six months out of law school, hated it, yeah. and, and went back to uh, broadcast journalism, yeah. which is what she's in now. And then I have uh, another daughter who's in banking and uh, a terrific lady. And you see the kids frequently? Or? Yeah, I did. I spent Thanksgiving with... Yeah. Uh, with uh, one daughter in St. Louis, yeah. and uh, so I, I see them uh, every month or so at least. Mm-hmm. Anne? Good afternoon, Captain. Hi, Anne. How are you? Oh, just great. It's so good to hear your voice. It's, Thank you. It's a calming influence. I mean, I'm 40 this year, so we grew up with the Captain, and you were our favorite. I wanted to tell you my two favorite books that make me always think of you, and one is The Fire Cat, Pickles, and Mrs. Um, Mrs. Goodkind. And the other one was the snowy day. And I don't know how you always timed it, but here in Minnesota, it seemed like you hit it right on most of the time. It, it, it's easy in Minnesota <laughs> and where I come from in Vermont. It's, it's other places that it's difficult that's to time true. the snow. Yeah, that's a good book. Ezra Jack Keats' is oh, a Snowy Day, which is wonderful. I can remember you reading it, and it, it always just brightened our day. And now I have my own grandfather clock, too. We got one a few years ago. And so you're always in our memory, and we do appreciate everything you've done. I appreciate Thank that. Thank you. Jim? Jim? Yeah. You're on with Captain oh, Kangaroo. What a wonderful uh, honor it is, I must say. Um, Captain, this goes back 28 years. Uh, the year was 1968, uh, Minneapolis Aquitennial. My dad was general festival chairman, and uh, I got to come backstage at the Dayton's uh, Auditorium and meet you. And uh, I have a photograph of you and me. I was in a leprechaun outfit. Uh, five years old, and I was just absolutely uh, thrilled to death. I still have that thing, in fact. Jim, you have a mustache now. <laughs> I uh, shaved it off. Actually, uh, <laughs> you didn't. You weren't wearing it that day. So. I wasn't wearing it that day. No. <laughs> okay. Oh. Yeah, that was a, that was a. The, I I did the Aquitennial two or three times. The uh, winter, winter carnival once. And I uh, really enjoyed it. There's a great uh, great uh, Twin Cities. They uh, oh, yeah. have good stuff going. So. Well, I tell you the. Uh, the kids, because I remember I was so upset because my dad was one of the officials, so I couldn't compete in the costume contest. Uh-huh. But, but when you came out, I just remember that auditorium, which was just packed with kids, uh, just going nuts. Yeah, we had a good time. It was oh. nice. Yeah, and I think that's just a great tribute and one I'll always remember of, of how Captain Kangaroo uh, touched the lives of all of us there in the late yeah. 60s. Thanks, Jim. Yeah. 
My brother, uh, <clears throat> real quick before this break, one of my brothers was telling me that you appeared here for the Winter Carnival, and you apparently did your show from here, from yes. the St. Paul Auditorium. Do you remember a, a kid yelling, hey, Captain, <laughs> hey, Captain, <laughs> hey, Captain, <laughs> Captain? That was my sister, Judy, who, who, uh, who never never would let up. The other thing he said that he remembers vividly is that uh, either Dancing Bear or Mr. Moose was dancing with a snowman. Oh, that's probably Dancing Bear. Yeah. And the longer the bit went, obviously, the snowman was melting. So kids watching it on TV always saw a dancing bear dancing with a smaller snowman. Right. What the kids in the auditorium saw was a prop guy running out and handing dancing bear smaller pieces of styrofoam. Joe, all you're giving away well, all the I, secrets. I, I know, but I love the way the magic works. We'll be right back with Captain Kangaroo. Have you noticed the consolidation happening to commercial insurance agencies today? This is Patrick Ricey for the Academy Group. The big just keep getting bigger and you and your business continue to get passed around until you become a dreaded house account. You have been consolidated. All of this was done to you without your control. Get options and take control of your company's insurance program. Have the Canopy Group help you gain a commercial insurance strategy that makes your business more attractive to the insurance industry. The more insurance companies that we can get interested in your business, the more competitive your pricing will be. If your business is renewing in January, February, or March and is paying less than $80,000 in premium, don't accept being a house account. Get the attention you deserve with the Canopy Group. Visit thecanopygroup.com or call 800-967-3389. 800-967-3389. Uh, I wish we could stay with the captain, but he's got another uh, thing. Huh? I, I think I've been given oh, like yeah. another... Ten minutes or something. Yeah, like well, that. we unfortunately we got the news. I have one question. Let's bump yeah. the news. He's a young guy, Captain. Do you take questions from young guys? <laughs> I remember now. I, I watched, and my favorite character was Town Clown. Right. I don't know why. I always felt so bad for him, but it was. I always looked forward to, uh, you know, Town Clown had the big shoes. And he was he always, always like sweeping or something. And yeah, yeah. What was his deal? Well, well they, he was they, the clown. He was the clown, and and, and <laughs> always got into situations which were solved in a very complex way, uh, in the most roundabout way possible. And he, he was me. He was my character. Once we started doing tape, I was able to do characters like that. And you were the clown. Yeah, it was clown. my love of clowns. Clown. See, there you go. You learned something. Okay. Joe. Yes. I, uh, first of all, I, it should have been a commercial-free hour with the captain. Um, well, we're I, a bottom-line network. I know. <laughs> I, I I have to comment on. First of all, thanking the powers that be for having given us such a great gift in him. Uh, secondly, the way he explained to children the day after the president was assassinated uh, how his program came on, knowing it would not be on that morning. And I will never, ever forget his words, and, and I wish my children were old enough to remember them. Do you remember what you said? Yes, yep. he said. I remember. Do you want me to yeah, go ahead, paraphrase yeah. it? first thing he said was, I want to speak to the children to tell them a terrible thing has happened in this country, to, and went on to explain as best he could. I, I had tears running down my eyes, and thinking of it brings them back. It was it was just a moment in history as, as great as and, and disdainful as that whole episode was. And secondly, I have... Miss Francis's ding dong bell sitting here, along with mm -hmm. a puppet of Bunny Rabbit. All right. <laughs> now I don't know what to do with the ding dong bell. 
and thirdly, Cosmo Allegretti was a good friend of my husband's and mine, and, and of course we all know he graduated from the school of Phi Beta Kappas that play football. Yep. And uh, thank you for all the wonderful things you've done for all the children. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it very much. And, and tell tell them what you said that morning. Thanks, Joe. Well, it was just very simple. I said, I can't explain what happened any more than any other adult. We, As adults, we don't know what happened. It was a great tragedy. But they had very special feelings, young people, uh, for John Kennedy, young young children in the White House and the like. And uh, I said, you know, what we really have to do is do what the president uh, urged us to do right in the very beginning of his administration, to do uh, what we can for this country, to make mm-hmm. it a better country and a better society. And that's our job now. Gordon? Hello, Joe. Hi. Thank you so much for having Captain Kangaroo on today. My pleasure. We didn't get a television till the late 60s, so I didn't get the privilege of seeing him at home. But I would sneak off to my grandma's house and see him once in a while, and it was always really fun. But, Captain, I have a question for you concerning Mr. Green James, Uncle Lumpy. Right. Did you have a lot to do with his creating the uh, little Orly character? No, no, no. No, he did that years before he knew me. He did that. They came right from him. He was, he was a very creative guy. We had all the little Orly records. Oh, they're great. We, we listened to them until they, were, they would barely play anymore. And in fact, as adults, when we started to divide up the things from our home, there was actually a little bit of a tift over who would get the little Orly records. Well, they were valuable. Oh, they were wonderful. And I didn't know till today that Uncle Lumpy was Mr. Green Jean. That's so this right. Is, this is a really fun program. Thank you. Thanks, Gordon. You betcha. Uh, thank you, Captain. They're going to take you off to some other... Signing, right, Joe. And uh, right. if you came back after the news, you'd have to split in about two minutes. So right. we might as well say okay, goodbye Joe. now. And thank you very much. And thank you for signing this book. And uh, we'll look. We'll uh, obviously uh, hope that you get back on the air. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. You yeah. have the the powers. Why don't you decree it? Well, uh, you will be on in Garage Logic. There How's you go. that? Okay. See, there so you go. I mean, All I right. can do these things because okay. I have that kind of political power. <laughs> Bob Keishan is Captain Kangaroo, and I uh, am terribly appreciative, and it was a, a thrill to meet him. Yeah, about that. Uh, how cool was that interview? Uh, that was my favorite interview of all time. He was such a great guy to meet. He was so gentle, and it was just fun. I, I absolutely loved it, and I still have the book with his autograph sitting on my bookshelf. Uh, that was Bob Keish and Captain Kangaroo from uh, the fall of 1996, and uh, he passed away in the uh, 2000, either 2004 or 2007. We lost him, but what a great guy. Say, uh, that was a best of Garage Logic. If you'd like to hear more Garage Logic, get your fix at garagelogic.com. Also, this Jack's Cafe event for Monday Night Sports Talk on October 28th, which is Monday at 3 o'clock. It's filling up pretty fast. Uh, you might want to go to garagelogic.com, click on the events page to register. Garage Logic podcast version. And don't forget, Table Talk with Rookies Family. Google it. Table Talk with Rookies Family. We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys.